Hey, everybody, and welcome to No Reserve, part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. And we're here to help you make sense of the enthusiast car market, whether you're buying, selling, or simply watching. Now, this has been a crazy week in the car market. We saw a $200,000 Porsche 912 a Callaway Corvette sell for over a hundred grand and nearly half a million dollars for a BMW Z8 convertible. Crazy. Oh my gosh. Really interesting stuff. I'm Larry Webster. I'm the editor of Haggerty Media. And I'm Dave Kinney. I'm the publisher of the Haggerty Price Guide. Between us, we've got decades of experience buying, selling, and driving the cars we love. Plus, we're backed by the data of the Haggerty Valuation Tools. All right, Dave, we're recording this on Thursday, October 13th. And uh, the market is on fire. My 401k is down 20%. But somebody just bought a 912 for crazy money. You know the one I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, I just, uh, it's just unbelievable, Larry. I, you know, it's a 912. Does somebody think 912 means it's like one better than 911? A $200,000 912? What the hell's going on? Yeah, I know the 912, you know, for everybody who doesn't know, is the, uh, the four cylinder version of the 911 that was uh, sort of the entry level Porsche. And it was replaced by the 914. And then, of course, the 924 is the entry level Porsche. I, you know, Dave, the only thing I can think this sold for 200 grand. What's the top of the price guide say these are worth? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe for a perfect car, uh, somewhere around 100 grand, something like that. I mean, it's more like 60, 70. Uh, you know, you have to give a lot of latitude for great colors. You have to give a lot of uh, latitude for, you know, for uh, uh, one owner cars and stuff like that. This one's represented as like a 40,000 mile car. Uh, but that's just, it's just pure insanity. I don't, uh, you know, uh, your 401k, great analogy. You know, my 401k is heading towards a 201k again right now. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe maybe we should just make a uh, uh, 912k out of the whole thing, right? I mean, it's just insane. Just insane. And I mean, well, it doesn't stop. doesn't stop there, Larry. We, we've got a London taxi. That's wait, so wait, 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 before we go there, Dave, I just want to say at, at, at Haggerty.com, there's an article. I have a 69-911, and we actually drove back-to-back with a 912, and I drove them back-to-back. And, yeah, they're totally nice cars, but it's really a much different, slower experience. I mean, the, the one thing this car does have going for it, it's a 67, which is the early short wheelbase cars that have some of the really kind of signature early 911 long hood features. Sure. But even still, this is a bit of a head scratcher to me. And uh, but you can read about it. But yeah, my my mind is, oh my god, the classic car market is still on fire. And you you mentioned it just in this next car. What what, what did you want to talk about? Uh, we we've got a 2003 London taxi. Now, for those who aren't aware, London taxi is like a brand. It's made by London Taxi International. This is a TX11 model. So it's the one that you saw in the streets of London for the last oh, 25 years. And now they've been replaced because most of the London taxis are going electric. So uh, they're pretty well oh. gone. This thing's black. It has 431 miles. It's a 2.4 liter Ford Duratorque. That's right. A Duratorque uh, four-cylinder motor. Um, and it's been off the oh. roads. It's been off the road since like, you know, 2005. So, uh, you know, the guy did a nice job presenting it. They did a startup video, you know, whatever. But it's a 431-mile taxi. And it brought $52,000, which is a hell of a lot of money. As somebody, uh, somebody made the comment, it's just not fair, F-A-R-E. Uh, I kind of like that, but uh, 
<laughs> I, you know, what are you going to do? I, I, yeah, these things used, used to be, you'd see them at auctions. They, they imported them into the United States. They're left-hand drive. They're U.S. legal things. They came into, believe it or not, like North Carolina or something like that. And they sold yeah. hundreds, maybe thousands of them. They were expensive when new. And they're not bad cars. It's just that, you know, no, no. The, the British, uh, you know, shall we say, uh, 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 how do I put this nicely? Um, they were not exactly maintenance-free cars. Let's just put it that way. But taxi drivers yeah, love them. They yeah. turn on a dime and give you nine cents change. They got all kinds of things going for them. They're great for handicapped people. There's plenty of room in the back. But $53,000, I can't, or $52,000. I just can't I, get that out of my head. I mean, really, really well sold. This is what it tells me. I mean, there's a lot of people with a lot of disposable income that are still willing to spend it. I mean, that's yep. what this sale tells me. This one's even an automatic. I mean, totally unique car, right? If you're, if it's really important to you to be the, the big dog at a Cars and Coffee with something really weird, it's going to be hard to beat this thing. But wow, I mean, 50 grand. It, it's uh, the market is still smoking. And the one that, another one that caught my eye and bring a trailer as well was a, a twin turbo Callaway Corvette. Um, this one sold, has no miles again, under 1,000 miles, 850 miles. It sold for, 120,000 bucks. This is a 2007. So this is the C A C six version. Um, you know, they didn't make a lot of these. I know they're crazy fast, but they basically paid new Z06 money, which we just reported on. And that's, you know, crazy flat plane V8 and all that stuff. I, another oddball one in, in my view, what's your take? Yeah, I, I would put it in the oddball category. I don't know if this guy is ahead of the market and a absolute effing genius or just a guy who wanted a uh, Callaway Corvette. I have to say, if you're going to have a Corvette, you know, and this point was just made, if you're going to have a Corvette, you're going to show up at a uh, Cars and Coffee. This is the king of Cars and Coffee. It's a Callaway. Only a few body panels are the same. It's got a nice look to it. They were actually, you know, kind of, you know, let's call them production built cars. This was absolutely nobody's backyard dream or anything like that. So that's got a lot going for it. Completely different interior, leather with Alcantara, you know, inserts, all that sort of stuff. But 120 G is a lot of money. But uh, maybe somebody said, "I like old school better than new school. I want to rule, uh, you know, uh, I want to rule Radwood. I don't want to rule, uh, you know, the new cars and coffee." So this is what they grabbed. Yeah. yeah well, it's super interesting. What's interesting to me is that okay, some of these, let's call them, they call them tuners, they call them modifiers. Depends on the company. They don't like those terms because they want to be considered manufacturers or boutique car makers. But at the end of the day, they're they're really starting with a platform from an original equipment manufacturer. Now, I would argue that Callaway really owes its reputation to car and driver in the 80s because Callaway was making those twin turbo C4s and then they were top speeding them and they were getting close to 200. I can't remember the, what the top speed was, but I remember reading it as a kid, just going like, oh, my God, the Callaway Twin Turbo Corvette, and you could buy them from the dealer. And they were the fastest cars in the land when, you know, a uh, Trans Am had 160 horsepower. So sure. I still think there's a lot of uh, cachet to that name. And clearly, that's what this result says. And you're saying the same thing. This this is something more than just a modified Corvette, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is this is no, you know, this is no backyard project. It was actually well-engineered, well-thought-out well car. Uh, you know, by a real live company that was uh, doing these things and doing a good job on them. Um, you know, I would rather have this for 120 than a London taxi for 52. And frankly, between <laughs> you and me, also a $200,000 912 uh, 
uh, Porsche. I would really have to flip a coin on that. I think maybe I'd go old school with the Porsche. Uh, but if I was using somebody else's money, you know, uh, that would be fine. But for my own money, none of these three, car- three, these three cars would wind up in my garage. Thank you very much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But for my money, it's another car that's sold on bring a trailer is a, is a 2015 Camaro Z28, a six speed manual. It's only 3,800 miles. You know, as much as I just said, like, oh my God, the market is still, you know, I don't know if it's, it's pretty crazy, maybe borderline irrational in some segments where the, the value or the prices that cars are getting are still really high. Yeah. Here we have one, this, the, the, they only made about 1200 of these Z28s. The best thing about them is they came with the best small block ever made. It's called the LS7. This was a seven liter rev to, I think around 7,500. It was first in the Z06 Corvette. Brilliant, brilliant engine. It's like has no flywheel. I drove these things everywhere. They sound killer. I think a crate engine version is like 15 grand. Anyway, this very pristine Camaro sold for 66 grand, which I think was a really good value. I mean, I think there's a lot of lights. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to second that uh, very much. We have these in the price guide for a number one, which this looks like it's approaching. Let's call it a number two, but, uh, Number one is 86,000 and number two is still 70,200. So this was definitely bought for under, uh, under number two money. Uh, it's the right colors. It's black, black. It's got the uh, six speed transmission, obviously, um, you know, black, uh, black outside, black leather with suede microfiber inserts. Um, this is the one you wanted to get in 2015 and very few people did. Um, you know, this is the same thing where, you know, Americans sometimes don't recognize the cars they made as being as good as they can possibly be and being actually world beaters. And you're right with this motor. It's just bulletproof fun. I just, well, here's what I wonder about. It seems to me that, uh, you know, bring a trailer brings a lot of high prices for those, uh, European cars. And I guess the Callaway Corvette as well, but sometimes the Maybe more mainstream American products like Camaros and things of that nature. I haven't watched it close enough, but I have a theory that it just that audience does not respond as well to a car like this. Um, I, I, would, you know I would I I would agree with that. Sometimes that that seems to happen. Sometimes you know sometimes the most obvious cars, the things that you'd think that uh, you know we'd all be in love with, and you know a, a gang like the Bring a Trailer Gang would be right on top of. Sometimes they just miss the mark on that because. You know, they're too busy looking at, uh, oh, I don't know, $200,000, Porsche. <laughs> yeah, okay. But that's one, I, I just for the audience to put on your list are these uh, Z28s from that era with the six speeds. The the engine is going to be uh, regarded as one of the best ever made. They didn't make a lot of them. They didn't put it in the Camaro. So it's sort of like a Capo Camaro or maybe a ZL1 from 69 Camaros, you know. So... I would think this would be one if you'd want to buy and maybe uh, have an alternate 401k since mine is so down. This would be a great car to do, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously, don't buy a car because you think it's going to make money. I know, buy I know. A car, okay, yeah, because, yeah. But buy one because you love it. But why wouldn't you love, you know, a 2015 3,800-mile Z28 six-speed? Come on. I mean, it's just it's a no-brainer. Yeah, the other thing, it's kind of like a Camaro, but built in Germany. It's a uh, was sold on Hemmings. It was a 2002 BMW Z8 Roadster, another wrapper car with less than 10,000 miles. It sold for 225 grand. Pretty amazing. Double the price that they sold for new. 
Yeah, well, that's one thing. But how about the that was the one on Hemmings? How about the one on Bring a Trailer that sold for four hundred and forty five thousand? I'm going to say that again. Four forty five. Four hundred and forty five thousand dollars. Uh, yeah, it was a like a five thousand mile. It was great colors. Uh, this other car that you brought up, that was a silver car. It sold for two twenty five. The difference in miles, Larry, is three thousand nine hundred miles. So, I mean, you know, was this because the color was different? This was because the venue was different. It was uh, Hemmings versus, you know, bring a trailer. Who the hell will ever know? But you know, we have a high for our number one on a uh, 2002 Z8 at 305,000. This beat that. This beat that. Wow. By, wow. by the by the new car price of a Z8 BMW. I mean, that's just astonishing. I yeah, I don't know where the money's coming from. It's not from me. I don't think it's from you. Uh I guess maybe people are funding their uh, car 1Ks right now, right? I know it just seems like, you know, you, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal every day and I'm reading the headlines about, you know, cutting budgets and hiring freezes and but you Bo- go to the car and market and it's on fire. Yeah. Still. Yeah, well, yeah, I know. I well maybe it's because we're all so silly and we're, you know, we're just crazy car guys, but uh, I don't know, maybe there's something to what you're saying that uh, uh people are going and I and I agree. I've seen a lot of this people, you know, going for alternative investments and uh, you know, that could be it. But two Z8s I, both selling around yeah. the same time. Um, I mean, I suspect, you know, the valuation team has been talking about the greatest transfer of wealth in like the history of ever, right? And yeah, that's the, the boomer passing, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the boomers passing on their, you know, their their, their fortunes to the next generation. And yep. it's yep. either that or the boomers don't want to pass it on. So they're like, hell, I'm getting the car I always wanted. Really? You know, I had a I had a client once who uh, um, called me because he was getting taxed. You know, we live, I live yeah. in Virginia, I live in Virginia. He was, he lives in Virginia too. And the county kept on raising his tax on his Z8. He went into a BMW dealership, saw one that was used, bought it for like $150,000, $145,000. Uh, they, then they told him it had a hard top with it. He didn't even know it. And now he's getting like, you know, tax bills based on his car being worth 225 grand. This is a while Ouch. ago. And he's calling me up. He's going, how can this happen? You know, whatever. He never thought he was going to be in the collector car world. Now he finds himself in the collector car world. I think that's hilarious that, you know, okay, uh, it is a uh, you know a tax that goes on every year for these things. But uh, wow. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, never it, thought it would happen. They're really interesting cars because, you know, they got the 4.4 liter V8, six speed transmission ships really well. They're really roomy inside, uh, but yep. they have a fair amount of like shake. Like the, the structure is not perfectly solid like you found in an SL of the time. Right. So they had this really unique character where they were a little bit crude, almost Cobra-like, but then you had this silky smooth powertrain that was very German. So, you know, we kind of always call them America or German Corvettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, they are this odd, odd duck. But again, substitution. Like, think of what you can get for two hundred grand. You can get some yeah. really good stuff. So. Yeah, a nine twelve, a nine twelve Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why do I keep going back to that? I think I'm. I think I'm. Obsessed. Oh, you're scarred. You're scarred. You're never gonna get over that. Well, all right. Really? Let's move on to the kicking tire section where we want to talk about cars that are 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 coming up for sale or at least going to close in the next week. Um, you know, Dave. The one thing I want to talk to you about. This weekend, actually, the Jim Taylor collection is going to be auctioned by the Broad Arrow Group. And 
in that collection, you know, we've talked about uh, the D-types and the Shelby cars. Uh, they've got a Cunningham C3 Vignali Coupe. This is a 1954. Uh, I am, in, you know, enamored by the history of the Cunningham cars. You ever owned one of these? No, no, no. They only made a few hundred of them, or not even a few hundred, just a, a few dozens of them. And uh, Cunningham, uh, Briggs Cunningham was a guy who, you know, raced yachts in Newport. He raced cars at uh, uh, at Le Mans, and he wanted to have an American car. He did Cadillacs, but he wanted to have his own car. So uh, Le Mans, the officials made him build 25 for homologation purposes. And so he basically sold these things to his friends. There were C2s and C3s. This is a Hemi engine. Uh, this mm. particular one was, uh, it had quite a few owners. One of them was uh, Robert Cunningham, the grandson of Briggs Cunningham's owned this car. Um, Jim mm. Taylor had this car restored. Uh, and you know, Jim drives his cars and this car, the restoration turned out so nice. I think he didn't put as many miles on it as he thought he was going to. Uh, this thing is estimated at 900 to a million. Our price guys has them up to 1,150. I would not be surprised with what we're seeing in the overall marketplace, seeing a new record on this car. Um, yeah, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me. The ownership is great. The colors are beautiful. I've seen the colors car are beautiful. Yeah, at, it was at the uh, Greenwich Concourse a few years ago, along with a lot of the uh, a lot of the Cunninghams. It's blue over gray. Just a really, really nice, subtle car. And, you know, the lines of this car, because they're Vignale, uh, you know, it rivals any Ferrari, any Maserati, anything like that from the uh, from the era. So it's a good looking car. And it's a 54. So, you know, early, bigger American car than you'd find in the kind of smaller uh, uh, Italian cars. Uh, nothing wrong so with So do you think, one. I got a question for you. Um, do you think, this is something that's on my mind, you know, as the generations go through, um, the cars that were once really coveted tend to fall away in value. Okay. Like a lot of the cars from the fifties aren't going to be as strong value wise. Like we say, like an MGTD is worth whatever, 20 grand, it's going to stay 20 grand forever. Uh, Duesenberg's though, right. Even though they're pre-war, those are probably always going to grow their blue chip. These Cunninghams with the backstory, I think deserve to be like a blue chip car, but I'm curious to know, you know, do you see them going like, passing from generation to generation uh recognized as these really incredible special machines that they are absolutely on this particular one you know sporting image from the beginning these cars a lot of them were rallied a few of them were raced uh the cunningham name just a, a fantastic name and uh, you know a true american bon vivant i mean this guy like won the you know the america's cup uh you know as a sailor yeah. i mean he was just a you know just an astonishing uh, astonishing guy and his cars are astonishing as well. So why not? I, I think this has got a lot. Yeah, I'm going to be watching this one because, because it's also, it's a no reserve auction. Yep. So, you know, there's a lot of drama in those that typically, you know, that's a big selling point to people looking at auctions, correct? Well, listen, when you go and you're bidding on something no reserve, you know that the last man standing, the last woman's hand in the end, the, the last kid whose parents are having them bid for it, whatever it is, they're going to own that car. <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, you know, that's a that's a real incentive other than the the kind of, you know, uh, display of uh, of fun that you can have when you're on a, uh, you know, a five million dollar car. And it's at a million dollars. You can go ahead and raise your hand and say, I almost owned a million dollar car. Well, you didn't. But uh, in the meantime, yeah, no reserve means a lot in the auction world. And I think it's great. That yeah. yeah. Another that another note. Another no reserve on this weekend is a it's a '93 uh, Land Rover Defender 110. 
this is one of, I think, 500 of uh, these wagon four doors of the Defender that came into the U.S. Uh, super cool. This one has the exterior skeleton, uh, has the white steel wheels. I, I've got such a damn soft spot for these things. I choke at the price. I know they're six-figure cars. I had a, uh, uh, a Range Rover from this era, and at one point it was leaking every fluid simultaneously, <laughs> which I've never seen before. <laughs> Your Range Rover was your your Range Rover was possessed. Actually, I have a friend. Uh, I, I love this story. I have a friend who uh, repairs nothing but Jags and Range Rovers. And I said, "Why did oh, Why did wow. you decide to do that?" And he says, "Because rich people own Jags and rich people own Range Rovers, and they oh, they both break all the damn time." So uh, I like his, yeah. I like his business plan. But this is a Land Rover, a lot different. Nowhere near as plush. Nowhere nowhere near as uh, many. Thousands of fluids coming out of the sides and the bottom and the top. Um, and I like these things. Uh, it was a great story. They decided to make a very limited production of these things for U.S. market. Like you said, I think they brought in like 500 of them. Um, they they yeah. sold out and then they didn't do anything for a short period of time. Then all of a sudden the word got around, well, this is it. This is the last of our Land Rovers. If it is, if it isn't, who the hell knows. But anyhow, uh, the Defenders always have had a following. Um, we've got this thing at the top. Uh, you know, for a number one, this is not a number one. It's a very nice one, but it's an yeah. eighty-one thousand mile. Uh, you know, I'm going to say truck uh, SUV. Um, they have it estimated between seventy-five and one twenty-five. Uh, one twenty-one is our number two price. Uh, I can see this car doing that easily because of uh, uh, Jim Taylor's ownership in it. He didn't. Uh, he doesn't cut corners when it comes to maintenance. So it's probably a good car to uh, you know, good car for somebody to buy. But these are. They're not. They're not going to keep going up a lot of the a lot of the way, as far as I can see. But they're always going to maintain. And boy, it's a lot to be said for that. You know, you just have to pay the bills to keep it on the road, and and then you're you know not going to lose a lot of money. A hell of a lot to be said for that versus a lot of choices you could make right now. Yeah, but certainly what's going to hurt these two is that it's easier to import ones from South America and other parts of the world. They're left hand drive, the four door versions. They're probably not as well outfitted as this one, but sure. um, I think that's always going to keep a ceiling on what a Defender One Ten might be worth. Yeah, yeah, you could be right, but I'd rather have uh, I'd rather have the you know the U.S. the made for the U.S. market ones. But that's just me. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, fair, fair enough. Switching a little bit from big truck to really <laughs> cool ADM is an '85 Toyota Celica Supra. It's for sale on Hemmings. It's only got fifty-seven thousand miles. Um, these. I, I mean, I can't. I'm still shocked that the supply of low mile cars continues to be uh, full. You know, what are these cars? How many of these cars are living in garages all over the place? I guess we have the Barn Find Hunter series on our YouTube, so I shouldn't be surprised, but I still, and these are super neat cars, kind of the Japanese Camaros of the mid 80s, but I think they're starting to get a real following. You need to see somebody about your Camaro fixation, Larry. I mean, seriously. I, you know. <laughs> No, I, I, Why Camaros are sweet? No, I I like Camaros. This is a P type, which is apparently the performance model for the '85. Uh, you remember this wasn't a Supra; it was a Celica Supra in '85. And this yeah. thing's got fifty-seven thousand miles. Again, the right colors. It's black. It's interestingly, it's owned by a dealer, and the dealer is selling the car. So I, I'm just wondering if this was you know some little old lady trade in, or some uh, you know uh, college professor guy trade in, or something like that. 56,394 miles. Lots of people watching it on Hemmings right now. 
I checked it this morning. It's been bid to 14,000. The reserve's not met. Uh, we have our number one at 49.5. We have our number two at 30,200. 30, hey, it's a rising tide floats all boats. You can't afford the, you know, the next gen uh, Celica. So you go for the gen before, uh, and that's raising the price on these things. And, uh, you know, they, this thing could do, uh, it could change that 14. It could reverse it and be at 41 before we know it. I don't know that for a fact. I haven't looked at the car, but it is a manual transmission. It is the P type and it is low miles. So it's got it all and black got it all. Yeah, it does. And it's a well-presented car. I see some things that give me a little bit of pause. There's a lot of wear on the bottom of the, uh, steering wheel yep yep, yep. you know and another thing I, I like to check is the pedals yeah um you know how worn are the pedals that's like a easy one right. to see you know the little things like that the, the the thread marks in the seat belts just to get away to sense like does the miles on the odometer make sense with the miles of the car yeah this one looks pretty close these are some of the things that i would certainly be looking at before i spent forty five thousand dollars oh my god you know Dave, just a little bit more. You get that Z28, blow this thing in the waves. Yeah, there you go. I love, and uh, going back to that Toyota, the dealership notes this, this vehicle has never been modified. Well, I don't remember Toyotas of that era coming through with purple, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, plug wires on it. But, you know, hey, I guess, uh, you know, that's, that that, that's, that's not a big modification. You're getting catty. I know. Meow. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what else we got? We got a, got we the- got a Bugatti to look at, don't we here? Okay, yeah, a 93 Bugatti EB110. This is a fascinating story. Um, Artioli, what was the guy's first name? He he uh, owned Bugatti, right? Or bought the name? Yeah. Decided to start building them in, in Italy. Yeah. And uh, I always remember that this factory closed, and there was this, oh, my God, this article in Car Magazine. I think it was Car from the UK that had just the the look of the design office uh, now that it was closed and it looked like somebody came in at the middle of the day and said, okay, everybody put down your pencils. We're leaving. Yep. And all the drawings were on the desk. I mean, I was so like jealous that I hadn't been able to produce that magazine story, but that era where it was really short, right? right. Because he went on and bought Lotus and the Lotus Elise was named after his uh, granddaughter. Right. right. So Huge guy for us car people, but these EB one tens, what do they have? Four four turbochargers on them, right? Oh, this is the GT, uh, and so this is uh, oh. yeah, this is actually uh, only eighty four models built as the the GT, um, and uh, you know the story behind this. This guy, you know, he spent a metric ton of money promoting these cars. Every journalist who was uh, you know more than a uh, you know, more than a podcaster, actually, Larry, uh, you know, got a, got a free trip to the factory. I'm sure you got three or four, right? Yeah. And uh, so yeah, before my time. Yeah. OK. But uh, anyhow, there were a lot of money. There was a lot of money spent on this car and they went to nothing. I mean, they, you could pick up any EB 110 you wanted uh, for like, you know, 600 grand for a very, very long period of time. That's not nothing, but that's a lot for a supercar, arguably hypercar. Um, this car is being sold by uh, uh, RM in the UK. Uh, it's British registered, um, and they're they don't have an estimate on this, but we've got uh, our number one on the GT at two million seven hundred thousand, number two at two hundred, number three at a million six, and number four at a million one. I think this car is going to go two hundred. I mean, two million plus. Um, I can't see it not going. It's that pretty blue color that uh, everybody seems to like their uh, 
EB110 in, so it's got a lot going on for it. What do you think? I mean, this is terrifying. It's it's terrifying on so many levels. This is what I see. <laughs> quad turbo V12. Quad what's, what's turbo. The, yeah. <laughs> quad turbo V12 and four wheel drive. How are they going to keep this thing running? Yeah. I mean, quad, I, I, and quad I, it just feels quad turbo from 1993, not 2003, not 2013, but 1993. So uh, yeah, there's that's. I bet, you know. On the flip side, I just want to, I'd love to own it and just follow the plumbing. And like, where yeah. does all the air go? Where's the intercoolers? How do they fit all this in there? I mean, it, it's kind of an amazing, ambitious, ambitious car. So for that reason alone, it's kind of great to have in a collection. But yeah, I, you know, it's, it, I'm so driver focused. Something like this, it feels like it wouldn't be something you'd want to drive. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I yeah, I kind of disagree with that. I think that uh, you know the the, oh. the problem is that I'd I'd want to drive this thing. I wouldn't want to daily it, but I think it'd be a great car to take out to you know one of these uh, you know uh, uh, big dollar well, big dollar country clubs maybe and and go around the track a few times. But I can't imagine what what I think we can both uh, uh, you know understand is how much the cost to repair would be when something goes wrong. They didn't, obviously. There ain't a lot of parts cars hanging around like there are for your Camaro there. So, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Dave, here's the difference. You can afford to pay somebody to fix your cars. I, I'm the I'm the poor sap that's got to do it on my own. So, yeah, yeah I, I, totally different. I get it. I, I have Mr. MasterCard do my uh, mechanical work now that, these days. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm much better at throwing wrenches than uh, using them. So, I, you know, you got me there. What can I say? Okay, here's one that that's probably more my speed and and a real oddball. That's it's on cars and bids right now. It's a it's a nine nine six nine eleven, which is basically the first water cooled one. It's a two thousand two, uh, but the difference is it has an LS swap, and like, that's the running <laughs> meme, right? An LS V eight Chevy V eight makes everything better. And, yeah, because I mean, you know, everybody. Why would anybody buy a Porsche for the engineering in it? Uh, <laughs> Dave, it's got the IMS bearing is fixed. We know it's fixed yeah, in this car. It's been neutered. The, the IMS bearing has been taken out. I mean, an LS swap on a, a nine nine six. Uh, you gotta love it. I mean, you know, God bless America. I think uh, you know, I think a German guy just spit his beer out when he heard what you want know, to say that. Uh, as I bet a German guy did this. They appreciate the small blocks, compactness, and horsepower. Believe me, they okay. do. Okay, all right, well. I think we're going to have to disagree about this one. I don't think I'd want this Franken Porsche, uh, but maybe you do. I don't know. I totally want it. I mean, because to me, this is like, it's already been messed with. You can do whatever you want with it, right? I mean, this is like a, it's like a home science project. And, you know, is it run better? Can I make it faster? Can I beat on it? Can I do whatever? And you know, it's going to go for pretty decent money right it, something it, like this especially in the porsche world it's at 16 it's, it's at 16 size. grand right now um you know it ain't going to do 61 so it, it's not going to reverse the digits but what do you think i mean let's take a guess on this what do you think it's going to go for i'll give you a number 25 25 25 grand. i think you're going to be closer to 35 i'm going to go 35 and Price is right rules uh, win here. So if it goes over 35, I'm a winner. No, let me tell you why I'm right. Again, here I'm going to tell you why I'm right again. No, no, no. Actually, I think, no. yeah, it's got um, 121,000 miles on the chassis. Mm-hmm. Then it's got this uh, weird, not a weird, but, you know, controversial <laughs> engine swap. And, you know, considering 121,000 mile 911 from that era, that's probably, what, 40, right? 45? Yeah. Which is a pretty good value, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. 
That's where I come in at 25. All right. That's why I hit it at, at uh, 35, but we'll see. All right. Well, good thing it's not the price is right. All right. Let's move on to our questions. First one, we have Tommy from Rosslyn, Long Island. Thanks for your question, Tommy. He wants to know, should I replace the soft top on my 91 Miata before I put it up for sale? The rear window clear plastic is held in place in tape and duct tape. And the paint and the interior are still really good, but everybody comments on my window. That was an easy one, Dave, but I'll let you take yeah, it. Yeah, he's got to. I mean, he's just got to replace the top on this one. Number one, it's not the end of the world. It's not like you know you have to disassemble a Miata to put a new top on. Uh, it'll make the rest of the car look better. You know, we've all been here, though, Larry. You you put a new top on, and the paint looks worse, and the interior looks worse. You know, when you when you fix a little something, sometimes the stuff that you thought was pretty good doesn't quite look as good anymore. But yeah, it's a no brainer. Yeah. A friend of mine put a top on uh, his Miata here uh, this summer. And, you know, he's got some skills, uh, so it wasn't like a, uh, you know, it wasn't like a two-hour job. But uh, I saw the car in person after he'd done it. Uh, I think that after following a few YouTube videos, you might be able to do it yourself. Uh, yeah. But I wouldn't attempt it uh, personally because I'd, I'd, uh, I'd yeah, lose yeah, the tip yeah. of a finger. I happen to know that. So. Yeah, I'm a DIY, and I love doing, figuring stuff out. Uh, but I have a 91 Miata. I I did not do the top myself. I was terrified. Yeah. But the neat thing about the new top, the reason you want it is you can get a glass window in your top for the early Miatas. Um, and I don't remember what the price was. It, it does get spendy for the labor. And you really want somebody that's done a few because if you don't do it right, like we, what can happen to yours, what happened to mine is that the top's so stiff, it becomes really hard to, to latch. And the beauty of the Mi- Miatas, always in my view, was that you could raise and lower the top from the driver's yeah, seat. Yeah, yeah. And that just meant it's a very usable convertible. So, you know, be careful, but I'm going to agree wholeheartedly. Once you have a new top and good stuff, you'll get more money for it. But these cars, are they're going up in value. Yeah. They're not the few thousand dollars that they used to be. Now a decent one's going to be... What's that? 10, 12 grand? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the special edition ones are even going for more. So, uh, you know, the, the they had dozens of special uh, special special models on these things. But, yeah, yeah, you can expect to pay 12 grand for a decent one right now. So uh, but still, I mean, that's that's my, uh, you know, again, MasterCard money for most people who are looking at uh, cars. And for a lot of these cars, when you're spending two hundred thousand dollars on a nine twelve. you know that's pretty much just what you had to pay in fees right so yeah i mean you can't go wrong with the miata i mean they have a bad image but i've i've owned seven of them i freaking love them but all right i'm gonna get off my miata finish it's it's even stronger than camaro's all right tiffany from marina del rey she wants she asked uh my brother says i should not sell my car online as I travel for a living, and I might not be able to answer questions quickly if I'm away and my auction goes live. Your thoughts? Yeah, this is a tricky one. Um, you know, you might, if you're going to do an online auction, you might find somebody who's got experience in doing it for you. You know, somebody who's got a track record with selling online. You know, there's I've only sold one car online so far, but it takes a lot of patience. You know, you want to bang the keyboard every once in a while when somebody ask questions. And if you were the unresponsive seller, it is going to go very, very badly for you. It's as simple as that. You ask a yeah. question at nine o'clock on a you know Thursday night, and if it ain't answered by seven o'clock on Friday morning, you know, they're going to think you're some sort of deadbeat who's hiding things, uh, which doesn't happen to be true. Maybe you just, oh, say, have a life and, you know, you're not able to, uh, you know, stop everything to do it. But people expect that. 
So you might want to hire somebody. You might want to think about taking it to a land-based auction. You might want to not auction it at all. Who the hell knows? But you might also want to think about hiring somebody who's got some real experience in it. And you know, maybe. Wait, Dave, what are you talking about? Who? Where do you find this mythical person that will auction the car digitally for and you? Everybody has a buddy who's got a guy who can who can do oh. that. You know what I'm saying? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody that's been in the business like you have for 50 years for the rest of us chums. We don't have that friend. <laughs> I'll hook you up, Larry. I'll, I'll totally hook you up. Okay. No, but Tiffany, you bring up a really good point. Uh, typically with these online auctions, uh, once you put the car in the system and you want it to be listed, you don't, it's hard to predict exactly when it's going to go live. You can ask. And the, the, lead time you'll get is anywhere from a few days to a week to maybe two weeks and they schedule it. So it is very hard. And nowadays, if you really want top dollar, the, the buyers, as Dave mentioned, they do demand that the seller is available to answer these questions. So um, maybe, I don't know, Dave, is Craigslist still around? Can you find this mythical seller for you on Craigslist? No, but if, or you're on Craigslist. Still, no, aren't you? I'm not a Craigslist guy. I never have been. I, you know, I, I used to be an eBay guy, and that's even worse. But uh, You're a misconnections guy. I know you yeah, are. Well, I can, I can totally hook Tiffany up. Unfortunately, I don't know anybody in Marina Del Rey who does it, but I guarantee you with a few phone calls, she and I could both find out. So, well, Okay. Well, good luck, Tiffany. Yeah. All right, Dave. Crazy week, like we talked about. Hopefully, my 401k will follow the car market. You have any final comments? No, uh, I think it's uh, you know I'm going to say it again. Get out and drive your damn car and enjoy it. The weather's still nice in most areas. Do it. Yeah, that's great. Next week, I've got a, 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 a every fall I do a little driving tour in Ohio with some buddies, and it's next week. I'm really looking forward to it. So, nice. thank you for joining us, everybody. Please leave your questions in the comments, and we'll catch you next week on No Reserve. Bye.